in Jerusalem. It's not even a church of the Jews. It's a Gentile church in Antioch. And as we look at this church, which by all standards is dynamic, if not the most dynamic one in the New Testament, I'd just like you to think about your own assembly. Somebody said all comparisons are odious, but sometimes a comparison is odious to a good purpose. It's kind of good to compare ourselves to a good standard and just ask ourselves, like, well, what are we doing? I know as I go through this, you're going to be saying, well, yeah, that's the church in Antioch. I mean, we're just some pokey little assembly in South Florida. But before you start with the excuses and we look at this, I want you to think about this. Is what makes a church dynamic is us or is it God? And are they, were they, did they have something we don't have? Did they have like the spirit and we, we just don't get it anymore? Did they have the word? We don't get the word anymore. They had the gospel. We don't have the gospel anymore. They love the Lord. We don't love the Lord anymore. What's the problem? Why are we not like the church in Antioch? If we're going to reach the world like the New Testament church did. Well, then we have to become a New Testament church, not just in our doctrines. You know, it's nice to put, over the front door headquarters of truth. You know, we've got all the doctrines right. But it's more important that we be the people of the New Testament church, that both doctrine and in practice, we'd be like them. And if we're not going to be like them, we're not going to reach the world. We can have all these missionary classes and meetings and all this good stuff, but we're not going to hear that well done that our sister's been singing about. We're going to be meeting people who finish the course, who accomplish great things. And, and they're going to come to us and go, well, well, tell us about your life, you know, brother, sister. Well, tell us what you did. Well, you know, I was really faithful. I went to church. Oh, that's amazing. Well, but what did you do? Well, that, that was about it, you know. And, 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 well, tell me about how you died for the Lord. Well, I didn't die for the Lord. I, I, I really... I was really glad I lived a long life. You know, I took care of myself and uh, died in a hospital. It was a kind of long death. But, um, you know, don't you want in the day when you're there in glory, what are we going to talk about? We're not going to talk about how much money we made or where great cruise you went on or, you know, some show you saw on Broadway. We're going to talk about the things we did for God. And all the rest of it will mean nothing. You know, when Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Computer, died, do you know how much he left? Everything. Left it all. I don't know how much it was, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was in the millions or hundreds of millions or billions. Gone is gone, right? So let's look at Acts chapter 11, a a truly dynamic church. We're going to start at Acts 11, verse 19. So then those who are scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. It's unfortunate what it says here. Um, when it says they were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, because in our culture, when we talk about a preacher, 
we talk, we think of somebody with a big voice that stands behind a podium. But that's not what they were doing. It, it literally says they were telling the good news about Jesus. They were messengers of a good message. The NIV translates it that way. And they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, any of us can do that. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, you don't need to be a preacher. Can you talk? Do you like to talk about the things you're interested in, enthusiastic about? You say, well, that's for men to do. Well, men and women are really good at talking. We've all concluded that better at explaining things and and being enthusiastic about important things than men. We know that because the men want to talk about things. The women want to talk about people. And we can be like this church. Um, Notice some of them, the Jews, they scattered. And it was a fearful time. I mean, when people start getting killed in your church in Jerusalem, that kind of sobers you up a little bit. You know, Stephen's not coming back. We We won't be seeing him again. They killed him. Bloody death. They scattered, and the Jews went out, and, and many of them just spoke to Jews. And some of us are like that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good with somebody who's just like me, same age, same, you know, cultural background, same language, and all the rest of it. But I don't know how much they accomplished. There was others of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks also, Jews speaking to Greeks. We're going to be a dynamic New Testament church. We got to learn to speak to all people, anybody who'll listen. We can't be waiting around for somebody just like ourselves to listen. In fact, we all know this, um, especially those uh, who grew up in the United States and educated here and culturally Americans. They're not the people who are listening for the most part. I want to speak to people who are listening. The people who are listening tend to be immigrants tend to be people who are different. Why? Because they haven't been destroyed by the American dream, destroyed by all the carnality and sensuality of this culture. And I say, I'm not saying neglect you know, all these folks, but I am saying if we don't learn to speak to people of, of all types, all social classes, if we're going to let those be barriers to our churches, we're not going to be a New Testament church like the church in Antioch. Verse 21, notice this, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. They were just gossiping the gospel, telling people in the enthusiasm of their hearts about the Lord. You say, well, we couldn't do that. Well, you don't have to do that. It says, The hand of the Lord was with them. God did it. He did it through them. Do we have the same Lord? Has the Lord grown weary? Has he lost his power? Can he no longer speak to the hearts of men and women? If we believe the same Lord, well, then we should believe in the same power, shouldn't we? Verse 22, and the good news about them, that is about the Christians in Antioch, reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. We said, well, see, that's it. It was that they had this powerhouse guy called Barnabas, and that's why they were dynamic. No, they were dynamic 
before Barnabas, weren't they? Why did God send them Barnabas? Because they were committed to the Lord and proclaiming the gospel and seeing great numbers saved. And they needed more help. So the Lord raised up this brother Barnabas, a very effective worker, and said, Barnabas, I want you to go to the church in Antioch. They're doing a great work. Give them a hand. See, when we stand around and go, well, we've been praying for somebody to come along, and then we're going to get serious about the gospel and serious about the things of the Lord. Then we can be a powerhouse for God if so-and-so would join us. You know, somebody may be like, if Nate Bramson was in our church, well, then we'd be dynamic, you know. But just the you and the me's, that's not going to do it. Well, maybe the Lord's waiting around to see what you and me do. Maybe then he'll send us a dynamic evangelist or teacher or leader to help us. You know, we're always, I hear a lot, and I'm not against this. It's wonderful to send missionaries to really difficult countries where your life's being threatened and they haven't heard the gospel. That's good. But notice here, where did God send Barnabas? To where there was a church, but a dynamic church that needed help. There's also a need to send workers to where the work's going on, where the harvest is taking place. That's where we need the workers, isn't it? If we want to be that kind of church, a church is going to see people reached and, and, and have God's resources, well, then we have to look at our own lives and say, you know, do we have the enthusiasm and the commitment that these people had? Do we have the love they had for the Lord? Verse 23, And when he, Barnabas, had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. He saw in that church just the liberty of the Spirit, the blessings of God. It was clear God was doing something. And he looks at this and he begins to rejoice. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's getting encouraged by what he's seen these people doing. And he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. This is really important, to remain loyal and faithful to the Lord. It's great to be an assembly that's on fire for the Lord but don't be a Roman candle for the Lord. I've seen a lot of that. People really excited. And you come back five years later, where's so-and-so? He was the firebrand. Well, he's gone now. Where did he go? Well, he got wrapped up in some sin. We haven't seen him in four years. That's, that assembly was going so well. What? Oh, they all got divided. They all started arguing. And you always, I always like to ask, well, what, what divided them? It's always the dumbest stuff, you know, the littlest things. It's never. It's never like... You know, they couldn't agree on the deity of Christ or salvation by grace. It's always some nitpicky thing that just destroyed the work of God. And and here the exhortation. He encouraged them all with resolute heart. You can just see him just pouring out his heart to them. You're doing great. Keep going. Don't get distracted. Don't become divided. Don't become carnal. Don't fall into sin. Remain loyal to the Lord. What he's doing is great, but it's got to go on for years if great things are going to happen. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Well, that could be true of anybody here, man or woman, couldn't it? Can't you be a, a person who is walking with the Lord, 
exhibiting his good character, full of the Holy Spirit, yielded each day to God, and a person of faith. I mean, you don't, anybody, any Christian could, could do that. There's a, a couple in the assembly in San Jose that I'm close to, and husband and wife, neither of them preach, neither of them teach. They both have the gift of helps. And, and every day, uh, they're both retired now, they wake up and they say, well, they pray and ask the Lord, well, who can we help today? And that's how they spend their days. And they just touch so many lives because that's they know their calling, they know their gifting, and they're just doing it. And they're among the most valuable people in the work of the Lord in that church. I mean, they're just good people, full of the Holy Spirit, and faith. You say, well, we're just a little assembly. There's, there's just 20 of us. Well, then be 20 good people, full of the Holy Spirit, and faith. And go around as much as you can and tell people the good news about Jesus and see what God does. See if the hand of the Lord is with you. And if you need more help, he'll bring you more help. I think, I think a lot of us are just so discouraged that um, our our greatest hope is just the rapture to get us out of here. We're 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 tired. This is a sinking ship, you know, and um, we've lost our vision, you know. And 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 when you lose your vision, when you lose hope, it's very hard to have faith and to persevere and and to be encouraged in the things of the Lord. But my mind goes to um, Abel, though. You know, if you do do well, will not your countenance be lifted? You say, well, Lord, I'll be, I'll be encouraged when you start doing a great work. Well, why don't you start doing a great work, and then you'll be encouraged? You know, why is it that you're down in the dumps? Are you in the Word? Are you believing what He says? Is there sin in your life, compromise, unforgiveness, hardness of heart, bitterness? Deal with it. And, and and recommit your life to the Lord. Well, I've done that many times. We'll do it every day. Uh, it's a continual offering, isn't it? And see what God does. Considerable, it says, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. God, The scriptures say that God has called us to reap. The Lord said the fields are white for harvest. He sent us to to reap even where we didn't sow. We have the same gospel. That's, that's the normal Christian life. And, and if we're not seeing the world reach, well, then we need to ask God, God, we're doing our part. Where's your part? You know, I, I know the fault's not with him. It's with us. But when we start praying with expectation and not accepting defeat, that's when things start happening. Verse 27. Now this, let's see where, verse 23, sorry, i two pages here. We looked at 23, 24, let's go to 25. And he left, this is Barnabas, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Can you see the Lord's bringing in even more resources? He's bringing in the heavy guns now. 
the, the, the dynamic apostle Paul. And this Barnabas, he's, he's a strategic thinker. He's going, wow, this is great. And I'm, well, things keep happening, but we need more help. So he goes out and he recruits. I'm sure he did this prayerfully. Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord put it on his heart. Go find that, that Saul guy. He, he's, he's the kind of guy you need here in Antioch. So they went and he found Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Can you imagine, you know, Paul's there in Tarsus. I don't know what he's doing, but Barnabas shows up. And can you imagine Barnabas selling the whole story to him? Hey, listen, you got to come with me to Antioch. Do you want to hear what's going on in Antioch? And, and he's, he's, he's got his mind and, and Paul, after a little bit, is going, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm praying, I'm, God's saying go. So he goes, and, verse, and it says in verse 26, and it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. It became a, a school, a place of training. Well, wait a second, Barnabas and, and Paul, what are you doing? There's a great evangelistic work here. You're going to spend an entire year? What are you going to do? They met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Why? Because this was Paul's strategy. This is the strategy that God gave him, that God gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service, to build up the body of Christ. The, the, a dynamic Christian church is a place of training. It's a place of equipping and teaching with a goal in mind, not to make us the, you know, the greatest Christians, the most knowledgeable people, but to prepare us to serve the Lord, to send us out. To do what? To do what Paul did. Proclaim the gospel, plant new churches, train them and send them out to plant new churches and train the believers and send them out. It's kind of like a nuclear reaction. That's how the world was reached in the first century. Now, again, you're going, wow, we couldn't possibly do that. Well, yes, you could. I, I want to put it into perspective, though. This is this may shock you, but, but I think it's correct. Um, there's a Christian um, sociologist who's done a lot of studies on the New Testament church, the wording of the scriptures, the historical background. His name's Rodney Stark. Have any of you read any of his books? They're very interesting. The Rise of Christianity is one of them about how the gospel actually spread. He says some very interesting things that are contrary to how we're normally told. He, he, he believes from his studies that the early Christians were not predominantly slaves they were disproportionately from the middle class, from the upper middle class. And his studies of other uh, religious movements uh, has led him to believe that that's always how it spreads, how movements spread. It, it's not that they didn't reach slaves, and the, it's not that there wasn't tons of slaves in the Roman Empire. But the thing about slaves is, is, is they're not very mobile, <laughs> And they're they're kind of stuck in their ways because they tend to be from the lower educated classes. It's the middle class and the upper middle class, he says, are much more likely to change their position, their thinking, their lives. And when they do, they are people who have means and resources and training that are able then to spread the gospel. He says this, that at the turn of the century, 
At 100 A.D., he estimates there was 7,500 Christians on earth. You go, no, what? No, that's not right. I mean, there was 3,000 at Pentecost. He says, well, it's, it's not like there was exactly 3,000 at Pentecost. That's an estimate given by, uh, you know, Luke as he's writing and the people were there. Um, are you going to say, well, no, it's the word of God. Every word is, you know, yes, it is the word of God, but it's reflective of how people look at crowds and it's communicating what, how they measured it. They said there was about 3,000. It, it can still be the word of God. And there could have been 2,999. And then it came to 5,000. But again, this is just a rough estimate. It's not like they did a census. He said, if you really look at, and it's, it's intriguing, it doesn't, we don't have to totally agree with him, but if you look at where the churches were, you know, you, you put them on a map, where's Colossae and where's Philippi? And they're, they're pretty much spread out. And, and like Peter's writing to the diaspora, the, the odd Christian here and there scattered about Asia. It's, there's not churches like with 30,000 people in them. And it seems like Paul sort of knows almost every Christian in every church for a while there. So anyway, Stark says there was 7,500 Christians roughly in the year 100 A.D. When I hear that, it kind of makes me feel a little less intimidated. I mean, could not the churches in South Florida over the next 60 years see 7,500 people reach for Christ? Is that beyond the imagination? You say, well, wait a second. I thought they changed the world. Well, they did. Um, I, I'm sorry I can't give you the exact numbers. They're, they're, they're not in my mind. But maybe by about 150 A.D., it had gone up to maybe like 50 million. And, and by 200, maybe 200 million people. It, it just took off logarithmically, but it started. It took a long time to kind of get things moving. And, and the key thing is, if, if you notice what they're doing here, they're teaching them, they're preparing them. And it says here that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. These just weren't professions of faith and numbers and scalps. These were disciples. These, this is the number of people that were following Christ so much so that people said, called them the Christians because they were like Christ, the way people understood Christ to be. I, I think this is key to the whole thing. If we, if we think about it, if we are going to see the world reach for Christ, we got to start thinking strategically in the terms of it's not just get them to camp and get the kids to say a profession of faith and leave the rest with God. We have to become the kinds of churches that are raising up disciples, that are teaching them and preparing them and sending them out as missionaries. We're going to see tomorrow, we're going to continue on with the Church of Antioch, the missionaries they sent out were Paul and Saul and Barnabas. These are these are powerful, trained people. They're not sending out 20-year-olds who never had a job in their life and don't know what they're doing and get out the mission field and they're going to reach a country for Christ. God bless them, you know, if they can do that. But But... Reasonably speaking, um, that's probably not going to happen. They need to be trained and experienced. We should be sending out the elders of the church, not, not the, the new believers of the church. We should be sending out our best and strongest. And we should be a training center. 
that's raising up regularly men and women to serve Christ. And if we're not, we're not a New Testament church. This is what they did. And and, and if, if Stark is right, and after 60 years of the gospel being preached, there was only 7,500 of them, but they were disciples. And they went on into the millions. Well, who are we to say that wasn't the best strategy ever? We're part of a movement that's in decline. Okay, over the next 60 years, we're gonna, we could all see the whole thing collapse. But we have the truth. Well, yes, but do we have the heart of the New Testament believers? We'll take a look at these next verses, verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would be certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. These are, these are people who gave of their means, had a, a concern for the church in Judea. Our time's about gone, um, and we'll continue on this tomorrow. But I, again, I just want to, to reemphasize, these Christians were no different than you and me. In fact, they didn't have half the resources, financial resources, the education, the materials. Can you imagine if Paul was alive today with a cell phone and the Internet, what he would be doing? He... He wouldn't sleep. He'd be up all night. He would not be watching, you know, cartoons and video games. He'd be emailing and talking to Christians all over the world and unsaved people and leaders. He'd be going, man, this, this thing is, this is the greatest thing ever. I, I don't have to do all that walking anymore. He, all night he'd be just working his list of leaders. You know, how are things in, how are things in Colossae? How are those, how are things in Philippi? Those two ladies still fighting? Did you do anything about that? He'd be, it, but we have all these resources. Are we using them to the glory of God? All this education. Compared to, to people in those days, we have so much free time. You know, PBS did a, a series uh, a while back. Maybe some of you saw it. It didn't last very long. It was probably too depressing. It was something like called the 1900 House. Did, did any of you see that? It was done with some British station, and what they did, it, it probably were arrested for child cruelty. They they found a volunteer family to live in a house with 1900 technology, and uh, a military officer and his family volunteered. They were a young family, uh, maybe two teenage girls and a teenage a young son. Young teenage girls, maybe, you know, 14, 15, and then maybe a 10-year-old son. And then this sergeant, you know, in the army and his wife. And they gave him a house in England with the same technology of the 1900s. And it was just when electricity was coming in, so they had gas lighting. They didn't have a washing machine. They had to go to the store and just buy, you know, it's called food. It just it didn't come in boxes or cans or anything. They Everything was... 
You know, they had to do prepare everything from scratch. They couldn't buy anything. They spent hours and hours and hours cooking their food, washing their clothes, beating the carpets, and they were they hated it, especially the kids. They were bored to death. Uh, and and the, for like the whole series, they just complained, you know, and it wasn't... It was funny, after a while, because they had to do this for a year. They committed to a year. After about six months of complaining, they started like learning parlor games and doing skits and doing things like talking to each other. And it was very revolutionary. Well, I mean, we just say, oh, I did a load of laundry today. Yeah, you, you just threw it in the thing and you pushed the button and you walked away. I mean, why aren't we doing more for Christ? What are we thinking we're missing the point in many ways. Now, my time is just about up. Um, I've got kind of a dual purpose here. I, I want to encourage you about the vision of equipping people, not only for the missions, but for the homeland. And uh, I know it's a daunting task. I know it can be discouraging, but I want to tell you about two programs that, that uh, I'm associated with that we can help you in some of these things. Um, if you want help, I mean, if you're doing great, maybe you can help us. But um, one of them is called the Galley Program, and it's held here in, in the south in, in Lafayette, Louisiana, every summer. It starts the last Sunday of June, and it goes for three weeks. It's for young adults, uh, ages, I think you have to be 18, 18 to 35, this is not summer camp for adults. This is more like boot camp for Christian disciples, or at least people who want to be disciples. Let me show you a little video. It's going to look like it's a lot of fun. Um, that's because we want people to think it's going to be fun. And it is a little bit. There is some fun. How can you be with, you know, 50 Christians? Uh, Southside Bible Chapel in Lafayette, Louisiana. Any of you guys know about Southside? Um, Bill Walker uh, was one of the elders there. I don't know if any of you know Bill uh, you mentioned Bob Brown knows that assembly, and uh, they, they all those guys are that same generation, Vernon Schlieve and others. And um, in the 1990s, the little assembly there had a building that burned down. It's one of the better things that ever happened to them. And they took the money, and they found this racquetball club that had been abandoned and vandalized. And they bought it. They went from a little building that sat maybe 50, 60 people to a sports complex with the same money with the vision to turn it into a training center. Only it never kind of got off the ground and the assembly had some troubles. And in 2012, they offered it to uh, us to, to possibly bring a training program in there. And that was the birth of what's called the Galilee program. And it's a, it's a, you're going to see it. We're going to see this facility. I want to tell you, this is an amazing story, what happened in, in Lafayette, because when we started there, there was only maybe 15 believers in this beautiful building. and But they had big hearts for the Lord. And, and some wonderful things have happened. They're up to about 80 people now. And they take care of all of the facility. They pay for all the utilities, which when we get there is over $100 a day. I mean... You think Miami's hot. You ought to go to Lafayette, Louisiana in the summer. I mean, maybe it's just as hot, but it's hot and it's humid. 
So we got huge air conditioners going 24-7. We were able to get 50 people in there. Um, they provide a cook, Tom Reeder. Great story. Tom was a petroleum engineer, a single man, and he offered to be our cook. He said, you know, I'm about to retire. I could retire early because i got all this vacation. He said, if you want, I'll retire early and I'll, I'll, I'll cook for everybody. We said, have you ever done that before? He said, no. He said, do you know how to cook? He said, no, but I'll figure it out. He said, I've, I've been an engineer all my life. He said, okay. He's been the cook ever since 2013. He cooks all the meals. It's amazing. Um, they pay for everything, which means we're able to get the price really low for, for the people coming in. And we're able to bring in about 30 young adults. And then with our staff and everybody, there's about 50 of us living there for three weeks together. And it's training. It's training people to do discipleship, to disciple others, to evangelize others, to work on the disciplines of the Christian life themselves. And I'd just like to play this for you. If you have, if, if you, if you need to kind of kickstart some things or you've got some young adults in your assembly that you, you would like to invest in and, and see them get three weeks of intensive training this summer, I would suggest you encourage them to go or even give them scholarships so they can go. It's only, for three weeks, it's only $600, room and board and the whole thing. And then, I mean, you're close enough. You could drive to Lafayette, Louisiana. And, uh, again, I'm going to show you the thing. It looks like a lot of fun, but it's really classes and, and teaching around the clock. Our, 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 late, our last class of the day starts at uh, 8 o'clock at night and goes till 9. And often it's followed by prayer. So I'm going to close with this because we're running out of time. Hope you, if, if you want to find more about it, go to galileeprogram.com. And tomorrow I'll tell you about some of the resources, some of the materials from this program that you can just have. You, you don't even have to go to the program if you want to use.